0: Welcome to the Fiat Podcast, sharing powerful birth stories within a Catholic context. I am Nikki French, and I'm Laura Flaherty. Let's get started.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we have Alex on the podcast today. Welcome, Alex. Hey,
2: everyone. I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) You want to get started by telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, my name is Alex. Um, I have, I'm married to my husband's name is Justin. I have two little boys. George is two and a half, and Max is um, nine months old. Great. Oh, and I'm a teacher.
1: Very cool. I yeah. don't know if that, that's necessary, what age is but
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I teach first and second grade math.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Is it all still yeah. virtual?
2: Um, I'm teaching um, like a hybrid model where I some of my students are in person and some of them are still online Um, but I teach at an alternative school so it's already a funky program (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right well let's get
1: started with our Hail Mary and then we'll dive into today's episode okay perfect okay in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb,
2: Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy
1: Spirit. So, yeah, Alex, wherever you want to start, go ahead and jump in.
2: Alrighty. So, my husband Justin and I were high school sweethearts. We actually met when I was 16. And oh, maybe 15. Not exactly sure. And we started yeah. dating when I was 16. Um, so we got engaged at 19. Because, you know, you get engaged fast when you start dating in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we got married when I was in college, I had about a year left. And um, uh, we had a really long engagement. It was like 18 months and I do not. Recommend that to anyone. That is so yeah. long to plan a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, we, but we really wanted to like line up our wedding so that I would have like nine months later, I would graduate. So that um, if we did get pregnant right away, we would <laughs> be covered with school mm-hmm. and I'd be done. Um, but that, <laughs> that we, um, I had to extend my school and all of this stuff. And I ended up um, getting pregnant three months after, um, we got married. So, and, um, then I would have still had, um, a whole quarter of school after, um, (laughs) we got pregnant. So that kind of, um, was a little, not exactly what we wanted, but we were so excited. Yeah. So, um, oh, and actually, (laughs) so we got married in September and in December, early December, my mom called us while we were setting up our Christmas tree. I remember this very vividly for some reason, but she, um, let us know that she was expecting. Oh and, my God! Wow. <laughs> and I found out I was expecting in January. So it was like just one month apart. She was due in July and I was due in September. Um, so that was, it was actually really cool to be pregnant at the same time as my mom, um, it was a great bonding experience um, to have her um, going through the same thing, so that was mm-hmm. really great. My first pregnancy was pretty rough, um, in all honesty. I was completing, or so I was completing the most intense part of my program. I was doing my EDTPA, which is like a three-month-long um, test, exam kind of thing, where it's like a performance test. And it was, you know, 100 pages, um, like multiple hours of videos that I had to turn in. It was like really intensive. And actually, um, I when I was 20 weeks, I remember having to leave early from school while I was doing my video, um, like my video lessons that I was recording to turn in and go to the hospital because I was, not feeling any movement for over 24 hours. And I was having contractions at 20 weeks. Uh, That's scary. Yeah, Yeah. super scary. It turned out everything was okay. And I just, um, I'm just a person who has Braxton Hicks from the middle of my pregnancy to the end of it. So (laughs) that was not a fun experience (laughs) for sure. Wow, that must've been terrifying. It was so scary. And actually I was like crying on the phone at lunchtime to my mom in my classroom and the principal walked in. He was like, uh, are you okay?
1: (laughs) This is like pregnant lady just bawling her eyes out.
2: Yeah. So that was, yes. So, um, yeah. And you hear from all of these pregnancy apps that Braxton Hicks aren't painful, and they don't last very long. And I had the exact opposite experience. As soon as I had Braxton Hicks at 20 weeks, they were painful. They were really uncomfortable. They lasted a minute long. And it was like, I was super worried that I was not going to be able to tell when I was in labor, because (laughs) I just had Braxton Hicks all the time. It felt like I was in labor for five months. Yeah. Crazy stuff.
1: <laughs> so, were you then um, diagnosed, so to speak, with like irritable uterus or
2: something? No, I think that's a thing. It is a thing. Um, my midwives didn't really, they weren't very interested when I brought it up. So, I would bring it up at every appointment, like, hey, I'm having these Braxton Hicks. Hmm. It's really uncomfortable. And they just really didn't seem concerned at all. So, hmm. Yeah. I wish I would have advocated for myself a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) concerning to me. Yeah. 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 Was it in any
1: way that was like, this is normal, you know, here are some things to do or was it just kind of like, Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) It was, um, it was like, this is normal. You know, this happens sometimes where you just have Braxton Hicks um, early on in your pregnancy. I wasn't having any other symptoms or signs of labor. Mm-hmm. Like my water wasn't breaking. I wasn't having any show or anything like that. Okay. And it wasn't ever consistent. So it would be like contraction here, contraction there. When I got further along, they were, it would be like, you know, the four one one. So I thought I was in labor every day. But <laughs> so they would be like every, they would be every four minutes. They would last a minute and it would last for an hour. And then as soon as we would decide to go to the hospital, they would stop. So (laughs) that was really fun.
1: Were they set off by
2: anything like stress or anything like that? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were set off by stress. Mm -hmm. Um, I was recently um, diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and I would not be surprised if I definitely have had this anxiety disorder since I was at least a teenager. Mm -hmm. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if my anxiety was a cause of, or like set off my Brex and Mm Hicks, but I'm not positive if there's that connection. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was, I think I was about seven months pregnant when my mom had my little brother Mm -hmm. and um, she was induced, three separate times because her doctor, she was over 40, over 45. She was 46 when she had my brother. And her doctor wanted to do it nice and easy. And so she went in two separate times and got sent home two separate times. And then the third time that she went in to be induced, um, that one actually took. So uh, I was there three separate times at the hospital, overnight, three different times seven months pregnant, having contractions, (laughs) um, sharing a little teeny tiny bench with my dad and my two sisters (laughs) to sleep on, (laughs) um, to watch my mom have my give birth to my little brother. And it was definitely an intense experience, but, um, getting to watch my mom have birth right before I had, I gave birth was Mm -hmm. a really beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually got to see some things that I was like, maybe I don't want that for Mm -hmm. my birth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, She had had an epidural and my dad was holding her leg for her. And they said, oh, don't let her leg drop to the side too much because it might dislocate her hip. And that was like the moment where I was like, I am not having an epidural. I will not do that.
1: (laughs) horrifying
2: (laughs) horrifying yes yeah wow yeah so um i had a false alarm when i was about 37 weeks with george um and i had been having contractions all day long they were really intense a friend was actually with me and i had called justin and said hey you know meet me at the hospital i really do think i'm in labor and we've got there, we went into triage and I was immediately, the contraction stopped as soon as I was in triage. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the nurse and I don't know if anyone else has this experience, but triage is the worst part of labor for me. That's the I only thing it. I've
1: ever heard about triage. I've never <laughs> experienced it, but every single person who's ever talked about it that I've ever heard has said that it's worse. Yes.
2: It was awful. It was horrible. You know, I've been in, I've had contractions for months. I finally think that like, you know, this might be my labor. This is my birth. I'm ready to go to the hospital. And I got there and the nurses were just rude. They were just rude. And, you know, I really do think that if you are going to be a nurse working with laboring patients, you need to have a sense of compassion Mm -hmm. and you know me I was definitely not in labor at that time and I now now I I mean I knew that when I got home but (laughs) just the way that they talked to me and the way that they let me know that I was only at one centimeter after Mm -hmm. being in contractions for six hours Mm -hmm. was just awful and yeah and I I really just dreaded the experience of going back to the hospital. So, um, uh, yeah, that was not a fun experience. Okay. Um, So that was at 37. And then what happened after that? That was actually at 39. I might have said 37, but I'm at 39 weeks. Um, So I went home. I continued to have contractions. I continued to think I was in labor every single day. Um, until I was 41 weeks and five days along, Mm -hmm. which (laughs) was crazy. Um, I think I cried every single day that the that I was overdue. Um, I tried to plan something for every day that was easily canceled, so that I had something to look forward to. But Mm -hmm. it was still in the back of my mind the whole time, like, okay, I'm I could be in labor today. Today could be the day. And then it would get to like 7 PM and my contractions would stop finally. And I would just like break it down and it was emotionally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just tried. Oh, sorry.
0: That I just can't imagine. I had a little bit of prodromal labor, so I can't imagine going through it for that long.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. It too. was so yeah. rough. <laughs> yes. Prodromal labor is the worst <laughs> yeah so um finally I think I was 31 weeks and or sorry not 31 41 weeks and four days and um my contractions changed they started to hurt in a different way that they had it almost like pinched more Mm -hmm. and I was like okay I think that this is real labor contractions Mm -hmm. and so I just tried to keep going through my day keep doing actually that was that was 31 weeks and three days. Um, and I went through that night waking up every 15 minutes to have contractions. And so the next day I called my doula, um, and had her come over and, um, because they were still 15 minutes apart regularly, um, they were still really painful. And that whole day they stayed 15 minutes apart. It didn't get any closer it didn't get any further apart. Um, it just stayed 15 minutes. And I could kind of tell like, okay, this is going to be, we're in this for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so my doula actually went home and said, you know what, call me if it starts to be something that you can't handle or, um, or if you just really need some support. But I think that it'll be best if you rest and just, you know, go through your day um, as normally as possible possible. Mm -hmm. So that was not what I wanted to hear. And so I I think I, I spent a good portion of that day just crying, and just really upset because I was like, I need this baby out of me, please. Um
1: (laughs) Can I ask, do you feel like having that? This is my due date kind of sense was messing with things at all? Like, do you feel like if you would just kind of said, you know, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. have this when I have this baby? Or was it really, really hard thinking like, I am past my due date?
2: Um, my mom had been past her due date with every single child almost. Mm-hmm. So I had I told everyone my whole pregnancy. Um, this is going to be my due month, I was due right in the middle ah. of September. So I was like, at some point in September, I'll have a baby. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hopefully it's not October. Right. (laughs) It ended up not being October. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but hopefully it's not. And I had that mentality that, um, it could be at any point in this month I'll have Mm -hmm. this baby. So Mm -hmm. I think that really helped, but it was also just the feeling of, I think I'm in labor every day for weeks that Mm -hmm. that was the real, um, that was the, the real issue. Um, so hard yeah yes the the due date thing definitely didn't help though (laughs) right yeah especially like
1: when the time that we're living in you know women are getting induced on their due date or scheduling a c-section on their due date like there's a lot of emphasis on the due date yes yes it's hard not to get wrapped into that I mean, even yes. like at my baby showers we had games where, you know, guests would do date. Like it's such mm-hmm. a thing in our culture. Mm-hmm. Get hung mm-hmm. up on And it yeah, I can really, really mess with with the flow of things. But being in prodromal labor for five months probably doesn't help either. Yes, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes definitely. And that last part of pregnancy is just so miserable. uh. Mm-hmm. There was there was multiple people too that would see me when I was you know 41 weeks 40 almost 42 weeks pregnant and be like oh when I was pregnant I was three weeks late and I was like please get out of my face I do not want to hear from you <laughs> telling me you were three weeks late go away <laughs> tell was, me that my baby's coming today thank you
1: I know
0: <laughs> I was
1: just talking to someone um, in my Instagram messages uh, about that they were like oh, you know, you're getting engaged really young. My daughter did that and ended up calling it off because she met somebody she liked more. And it's like, that's not what I'm talking about. And yeah, people would say that to me about it when I was saying I was having a home birth, you know, people would ask, oh, so you're what hospital are you delivering at? I'm having a home birth. And they'd be like, oh, if my sister had had a home birth, she would have died. And I was like.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is not helpful. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So I yes. know, Yeah. People do not know how to deal with situations well.
2: They don't know how to share well. No. That's for sure. Yeah. How to support,
1: you know, your body's doing great. You know, you got this, like, yeah, they don't know. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think the way that we talk to pregnant women is just, a lot of times it's not helpful. And a lot of times it's invasive and just rude. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, it's a really hard, um, Sorry, my children are screaming. Um, <laughs> I think it's it can be really harmful for pregnant women who are going through the most sensitive p- part of their lives, and people think they can just comment on their life decisions and comment on their size and touch their bellies, and it's just it's a really harmful culture yeah, around that understanding of what
1: a sacred process this is for us. That it yes, definitely and respect. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like something to be marveled at. Like we're freaks, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. Instead Mm of this is the most important thing that humans do. Yes. It's like, oh, you're doing that. You know, we're so made Mm -hmm. to feel like we're weird or like.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's it's a spectacle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Almost.
2: Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Even among even among people who are Catholic, who see birth and see pregnant women more often than people who aren't Catholic. It was still like this weird, mm-hmm. like dynamic of comments and mm-hmm. unhelpful suggestions. Mm-hmm. And when women just need encouragement, you know, yeah. you can do this, you know, you look, you're glowing, yeah. you know, I was <laughs> comments little... that are not about size. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I feel like people's own
1: discomfort. They don't know how to translate that into something that doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. they don't know what to say. So they just say, you know, something uncomfortable, but.
2: I remember I told a cousin that I was planning to have an unmedicated birth. um, And I didn't tell her why my reasoning was because. I don't like the way that I feel on medication Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to start the, you know, the um, cascade of interventions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I'm just really, I just really do not like how I feel on medication. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, my cousin, when I told her that I was having an unmedicated birth, she said, "Um, you don't need to be a hero. And I just, you know, (laughs) I hate
1: that expression.
2: I'm not yeah. trying to be a hero. I'm just trying to get through my birth without, you know, losing my mind. And With, that's how I, I'm doing I do it. I have
1: autonomy in my birth. What is the problem? <laughs> <Yes. like that? laughs> I want to be in charge yes. of my birth. Why is that so <laughs> offensive?
2: Yeah. And I think that it's because birth is so personal to all of us that when someone else, it's like our parenting choices. When someone else chooses something that's different than your birth, it almost feels like a judgment mm-hmm. on your own mm-hmm. birth experience. And yeah. I think that's part of our insecurity because of the way that women are not viewed as, you know, in charge of their birth, they're yeah. not viewed as in charge of their birth. And so when someone else says, you know, Oh, I had an unmedicated birth, there's almost an expectation that they think they're better than you Exactly. or, you know, yeah. like there's that weird insecurity balance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever anyone has a different birthing experience, it's really easy to just go into that place of instant insecurity. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah.
1: i found that too. (sighs) Like, I don't, I'm not upset when people tell me that they had a medicated birth, like, okay, Mm -hmm. that's your choice. I chose not to have that, you know, that's your choice. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not, ashamed of the choices that I make nobody is capable yes. of making me feel shame because I'm confident in what I can control and I'm okay with what I can't
2: yeah I feel like people yes, definitely
1: especially women because there's a lot of judgment for any decision we make you know medicated mm-hmm. we get judged vaginal or c-section yes. we get judged you know co-sleeping yes. or crib you know we get judged for everything
2: mm-hmm, and- mm-hmm. It doesn't and matter. even when we aren't being judged, we assume that someone else, or maybe this is just me because my anxiety disorder, but we assume that someone else is judging us, even if we don't see the effects of being judged sometimes. if right.
1: They're not in our face. Mm-hmm. It still feels like, yeah, they are. yeah,
2: yes, yeah. I've definitely. gotten
1: the, the, don't be a hero. You know, there's no pride <sighs> for having, yeah. like, that's what I want. That in itself mm-hmm. is enough. like, yes, being in charge of my birth is enough.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, oh yeah. Um, if we could get back to right. my triage experience. <laughs> um, Off on a so tan. I, yeah, <laughs> I love talking about like just birth as, um, mm-hmm. you know, like this nebulous thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I was in triage after 36 hours of labor, waking two nights in a row, waking up every 15 minutes. Um, and they, my over the night, the second night, it started to get closer and closer together. So I'd wake up every five minutes mm-hmm. and I could still tell that it wasn't like incredibly intense. Um, it felt worse than my, my breast and Hicks had felt, um, and so I waited until probably 6 a.m. I had a scheduled induction at 8 a.m. that next day. And I was like, OK, let's just go because I don't want to miss it. I don't know how long I'll be in labor. And so we called my mom and my doula and had them meet us um, at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, when we got there, I had another horrible triage experience. Uh-huh. I, you know, I had been uh-huh. having these really incredibly painful contractions Um, even though I had an induction scheduled at 8 AM that day, they were still just really rude about the fact that I was, you know, I, I knew I was in labor, but when they checked me, I was only at one and a half centimeters, which Mm -hmm. that was crushing, crushing to me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like, I just felt like I've been doing all this work and like, What's the point? I'm only at one and a half centimeters. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize was I was also ninety percent effaced, mm-hmm. and you know I was my my labor was doing other things in different ways before I started to dilate. And our medical system focuses on dilation over anything else. Um, wow. So if I would have understood what that meant, mm-hmm. I would have that would have been more of an encouragement to me, mm-hmm. but. Um, was your, doula, I,
0: was your doula there with you in triage, or were they just following you?
2: No, I could only have one person okay. in triage with me, so it was just my husband at that time. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. And then while I was in triage, a woman came in screaming, she was obviously in transition. She was 30, you know, you hear everything while you're in triage because it's all just curtains. <laughs> Um, she was like screaming in labor. She had been in labor for two hours. She was 38 weeks pregnant and they had to roll her across the hallway. And she gave birth all in the time that I was in triage. And I was so angry at this woman, (laughs) this poor woman who has nothing to do with me. Um, I was like, this is not fair. I've been here 36 hours in labor and you just get to like, you get a free pass to just go across the hall and have your baby. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> You're like, this is not
1: uh, on a first come first serve basis. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we finally get checked into a room. Um, it takes a couple hours and I, I was just, you know, going nice and slow. Um, I was trying to just relax into each contraction and, um, I think at one point after I got checked in, they, um, it was a hospital that worked with midwives. So I had, um, I worked with a midwife practice. You didn't know what midwife you were going to get. Cause it was whoever was on call. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like a hospital birth, but they have a lot more of the midwife midwifery, um, mm-hmm. uh, ideals. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that for my birth. I did not want an OB. Um, and I did, I wasn't, I was, playing around with the idea of a home birth or a birth center, but um, my husband wasn't comfortable with that. Um, And, you know, I, I wanted him to be comfortable as well. You know, his, Mm. his comfortability did mean a lot to me and I wasn't against a hospital birth. So um, that was something that I was okay with um, changing up a little bit. Um, But I did have a doula and my mom was there and my baby brother was there. He was two months at the time and that was really amazing mm-hmm. um, to have him there too. And my first birth was, I would say it was a spiritual experience. I had prepared by gathering as many prayer intentions as I possibly could. Um, I was, I had, you know, Audrey Assad <laughs> music and those kinds of songs playing in the background Um I was really trying to offer every single contraction up for someone else. Mm-hmm. And it just made, it gave my birth more, even more meaning than it already did have. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent some time in the bathtub, you know, that one point I was singing in between contractions and I, that felt really cool. Um, just like, you know, I'm in this intense pain, but I can still sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I did use, I, um, nitrous oxide so laughing gas mm-hmm. at some point and I remember being on the table you know in in transition and just like yelling after <laughs> breathing in the not just nitrous oxide just yelling like I don't want to do this anymore like just screaming at the top of my lungs <laughs> but I wouldn't let myself say that I can't do this mm-hmm. because I didn't want that mentality. Mm-hmm. My doula was you know really, or I really worked on the mentality of like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. This sucks. This hurts. But I, I still can get through it. So I never let myself say I can't do it. Um, I remember at one point when I was in transition, my mom holding up my baby brother and just like seeing him, he was smiling and laughing, this two-month-old baby. And it just really gave me motivation of like, okay, that is what... I get at the end of this mm-hmm. and that was just a beautiful experience um I think I was I think it was at nine and a half centimeters after you know I think at this point I, it was like 11 hours in the hospital um and I felt I decided that it was time to push and <laughs> I was only nine and a half centimeters and my doula didn't, or my um, midwife didn't want me to push quite yet, but I was at the point where I was like, I'm pushing, I don't care. (laughs) And so I started pushing, um, and they were like, okay, you have a little bit of a lip and they tried to, you know, push it back so that I could push, um, safely. Um, but I was like, I don't care. I'm pushing. I pushed for 40 minutes and I remember being incredibly frustrated because I felt like this baby was never going to come out. Um, and, um, my husband, we actually talked about this beforehand. Um, my husband was the one who caught our baby. No. Um, and it was just like this, a uh, be- this just beautiful experience, even though it was incredibly painful and I was frustrated and angry. Um, <laughs> I was able to push that baby out eventually. And, um, my husband was the first person to hold him. In his arms and then he placed him on my chest and yeah. just yeah that was beautiful if anyone has the opportunity to have your husband catch your baby and place him on you and just the two people that were there when the baby was created to be the first two people to make physical contact with him mm-hmm. outside of the womb oh, it was just beautiful And I definitely felt that oxytocin high with my Mm -hmm. first baby, you know, just I thought I was a superhero. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, you are. I I did the coolest thing in the whole world. I am amazing. (laughs) Uh, And um, I was so proud of myself. And also, I had this incredible love for my doula at that time, too. I thought that she was, you know even cooler than I was. And it was just <laughs> the biggest oxytocin high of, you know, having my baby on my chest. Um, and yeah, it was a beautiful experience that first birth. Um, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I had, I had thought about um, having James catch my dad caught all of us. And that was a cool experience mm-hmm. um, oh, cool. for my parents to share. And my midwife had told me like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, totally up to you. I don't mind, you know, taking the back seat when it's time. She said that mm-hmm. what she has found, though, is that if he's with her, if if the husband's with the wife, when it's time to put, mm-hmm. he doesn't want him to leave. And that was the yeah. experience. He was like, that right makes sense. and they asked me with Jesse, like, do you want James to come down here? And I was like, no,
0: no, no. <laughs> You no, know, he's for That's me. me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I was you no know, ended yes. up being fine that the midwife caught Jesse, but I'd love for James to catch in the future.
2: Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think because I had my doula, that wasn't an issue. Um, I feel like for the first mm-hmm. birth, Justin almost took more of a back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- my doula was definitely, you know, encouraging him to be a part of everything and he was holding me and helping me through all of the the contractions. And, um, but I think that I relied on her more than him with my first birth, Mm -hmm. but that gave him an opportunity to see everything that she was doing and use that in my second birth. So that was
1: experience too. mm -hmm, mm Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, my first postpartum experience was rough. (laughs) Um, I, definitely had postpartum or my anxiety was definitely feel like made worse by postpartum hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had an oversupply of milk. So, um, I spent probably the first two months just like drenched every day Mm -hmm. and no matter what I did, like I could not get my supply to level out. Mm -hmm. And, but one beautiful thing about that was, um, I was able to collect all a lot of that extra milk and give it to my mom for my brother who my mom had an undersupply. So mm. it was just a really beautiful experience of like, you know, working together and like, yeah. you know, my oversupply that was causing me all this pain and my mom's undersupply that was causing her pain almost like leveled out and we were able to work together to um provide some milk for him and it was beautiful beautiful. um yeah so um at three months I went back to work or back to school and I completed my last quarter um of college while I was doing it was full-time in a teaching role with um, another teacher and I graduated at six months which was I'd say almost the hardest thing I've ever done was to leave my baby every day to go to work um, at three months postpartum. Mm -hmm. But I did it. And then the next year, uh, actually, I found out I was pregnant one day before Nikki did. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) George was 14 months. Mm -hmm. That was so special. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Alex told me. Alex and I are good friends in real life for listeners Mm -hmm. who don't know. Um, Alex told me on a Friday, the same Friday that um, my husband found out he was getting into officer candidate school. I talked about that in my episode. Um, and then I said, Hey, Alex is pregnant. And he goes, Oh, yeah, you're going to be asking, you know, when's my turn?
2: And I was like, yeah, maybe. And then the
1: next day, I got a positive test. It was very fun.
2: Oh, my gosh. So funny. And we went that day that you found out, you told me before you told James, Wait. which I was like, Oh, no. Now <laughs> I know. I don't even have any way to contact James, but what if I accidentally tell him before you do? <laughs> it's like no um and we searched effort. for big brother shirts because we wanted yeah. to do that to um announce our pregnancies so that was really fun yeah we both so much fun
1: had a toddler and then we're pregnant with the second and we were looking mm-hmm. for big brother shirts but couldn't find any
0: oh
1: Not yeah because they were really little people don't yeah. usually have you know a big brother wearing a 12 month shirt Yes. Through.
2: So um, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was really a fun experience. Um, my second pregnancy. So I got pregnant November of um, 2019, and the first few months were really rough. I was a substitute teacher at this time, um, and. I had heartburn my entire first trimester so bad that it felt like I was like had cotton balls that were Mm -hmm. stuck in my throat. And once again, my midwives didn't really have anything for me. I remember making an an appointment that same day and being like, hey, I can't deal with this. And um, being given a, the lady didn't want to give me a prescription. And I was like, I will not leave until I have something to help me with this because Tums and all of that stuff are not helping. And, you know, I feel like something is stuck in my throat because my anxiety or my um, heartburn is so bad. And that was (laughs) not a fun experience. That's, I feel like, Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, sorry that they, that they didn't want to help you treat. It's not even like, oh, you know, we don't want to give you a prescription, but here's like a more natural remedy. Was that the situation? Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I had tried all of the natural remedies okay. um, and they still they really did encourage me to use natural remedies, but I had tried them all. And it had been mm-hmm. weeks of just constant heartburn from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. and it was keeping me up at night. That's how bad it was. Wow. And so I was like, I need something else that is like, we'll fix this because mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. I can't have heartburn twenty four seven for weeks, you know yeah so but then then what they gave me caused um headaches and constipation so it was like you either you just
0: get to choose <laughs> pick your battle you get to choose oh yeah <laughs> pick you get your poison to pick.
1: sometimes you get to the ways in which you suffer but there's gonna be suffering regardless of what you pick yes yeah.
2: and that was the theme through the second pregnancy was mm-hmm. just suffering um My anxiety really came to a head in this time. Um, You know, as we all know, in March of 2020, the pandemic really came to a head. Um, You know, we all got stuck in our homes and I was teaching from home. I had taken over a maternity leave that started early because the lady I was taking her maternity leave over for, um, (laughs) she had her baby two months early. And so it was this crazy experience of being thrown right into um, a long-term sub position where I was all of a sudden a teacher of my own classroom and I was pregnant. And then two months later, the whole world went into a pandemic and closed down and I was working from home and my husband was working from home, which was a beautiful experience. I, I, I think that's the most amazing thing to come out of the pandemic is getting to spend so much more time with my husband Um, but aside from that, my anxiety was so bad. I was having panic attacks almost every day and, um, that's not really healthy for you or your baby. Um, and I, um, and we were moving too. So at eight months pregnant, we moved Mm. from an apartment to a house, which was a beautiful blessing, but that was a lot of added stress mm-hmm. yeah, of you know change. yes yeah, trying to pack boxes with a, a toddler week.
1: yeah you and I moved within a couple weeks of each other I think
2: <laughs> yes yes yeah luckily I had my husband at home and you didn't Nikki but <laughs> 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 you had to pack things up with your toddler without a husband at home with you but um
1: I got some help from my mom
2: yeah yeah oh and that was another thing about my anxiety was I was so scared of the pandemic that I would not see anyone, mm. anyone at all. Um, I, I realized now that it was probably an unhealthy response. There was definitely an unhealthy response to not even have a bubble. My bubble was me, my husband and my toddler, and I would only leave the house to go to get groceries, mm. um, and go for walks outside our apartment complex. So, um, I was, I was so anxious. I couldn't even respond to text messages, Mm -hmm. like just even thinking about contacting other people and um, the amount of stress I was under was just, it was unbearable, Um, which is just, it was miserable. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I started having Braxton Hicks with Max at 18 weeks onward and they were painful immediately like they were immediately painful. They were not very frequent at the beginning, but as the pregnancy got further along, they became more frequent. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually I did, I was able to have experiences where we got together with other people and my anxiety started to slow down. I did start to see a counselor that I'm still working with, um, which was amazing. I, I think everyone, Everyone needs a little bit of therapy, but I needed Mm -hmm. a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I definitely encourage anyone to see a therapist, even if you don't think that you need one necessarily,
1: Um, you know, mm -hmm.
2: yeah,
1: yeah, the idea to get out in front of something before it's like taking over your life, you know, yes, we're not definitely very, very helpful, like coping skills a lot of the time kind of because mm-hmm. in my opinion the culture that we live in it's not um it doesn't prioritize like parent responsiveness yes in a parent-child yes. relationship that's not honored or prioritized it's it's mm-hmm. in a lot of um situations and dynamics um with yes. in culture and stuff like that like we're not we're not encouraged to teach our children how to deal with overwhelming situations or, 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 you know, show them, this is how I deal with an overwhelming situation. Maybe this would work for you too. Where Mm -hmm. as a culture, just kind of not, not there for kids in a way that. Yes.
2: Yes. And then you have, you know, when our entire culture goes through a collective trauma, like what we've been through this last year, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it really brings to head a lot of the issues that we all have. Like we don't know how to cope. A lot -hmm. of us, Mm -hmm. Um, we Mm -hmm. really need to build up those skills and yeah. 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 Just go to therapy. If you haven't yet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really recommend it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's not a bad thing, you know, to, Mm to want to talk to somebody and to, Mm-hmm. professional help
0: yes something it that is. you
1: don't feel like is you know ruining your life like therapy isn't mm-hmm. for people on the verge of suicide or like you know yes. it's, it's for everyone it's helpful yes. for everyone
2: don't wait to go until you are you know in a crisis unable to <laughs> handle life go mm-hmm. before then so that when you get to a point where life is so hard to live you have strategies and solutions, um, to help you through it. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved when I was 39 or no, I was eight months pregnant. I was, we moved on June 30th was our last day in our apartment. And I had my due date was July 21st. So, (laughs) That was not a lot of leeway. And I really had this expectation that this birth would go or this pregnancy would be as long as my first one. I just like had this idea in my head. And so, you know, moving requires a lot of work. And I was pushing myself every day, which I definitely do not recommend. Don't push yourself every day to get your house unpacked when you're you know, 37 weeks pregnant, Mm -hmm. take your time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I went in for my 39 week appointment and they had measured me. And over, you know, the last few weeks of my pregnancy, I, my, my fluid or my belly was really small and they weren't worried about it at first, but this was like the third or fourth week in a row. I think I, I think I might've even gone down. And that could be Mm -hmm. due to my baby dropping a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but it was to the point where it was concerning for this week. I think I was three centimeters behind where I should have been um, or where they like to see. It was like, they have like a range and I was outside of the range by a good amount. And so um, they sent me to have an ultrasound. And when I got there, they were like, or I did the ultrasound. They, um, um, the ultrasound tech left for a little bit and then came back and she was like, um, so they want you to go to triage. And, you know, as a pregnant woman, you know what that means. It was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, <laughs> having an anxiety disorder. I was like, my baby is dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know that he would, it wasn't, but I was, I was freaking out. She didn't explain because she couldn't because she was just an ultrasound tech. So <laughs> that's a, that's an issue too of like yeah. okay nobody's going to explain should have came
0: to talk to you or something to explain what was going on. Yes.
2: To- <laughs> yes. And the um the system that I work within there's like the um the hospital system there's two hospitals. One is just for women and children, so um the NICU and the um, labor and delivery is in one hospital and then the other one's like in a different space. And so it was like this whole thing where I had to just drive from one to the other. It was only a five minute drive, but, um, it was a, a, a drive that was full of panic <laughs> for sure. Well, um, because
1: It was in the summertime there were COVID restrictions. So you were probably alone.
2: Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yep. I was alone for all of my appointments. Um, and because of that, I did decline to have any cervical checks or anything. Um, partially because of like, just risk of infection. But Mm -hmm. also because, Mm -hmm. um, because of my anxiety and um, history of abuse, I was not comfortable even with my midwives that I had been seeing through my whole pregnancy, I was just not comfortable being alone um, Mm -hmm. with someone, you know, checking me, I just it was too much anxiety, so I was like, I will not do that.
1: <laughs> hey, even without an anxiety disorder, that's yeah. more than valid.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: or a history yes. of abuse, that's more than valid.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And um, my midwives were really supportive of that. They're like, Yeah, it doesn't really even tell you anything, you know? Right. It doesn't. Yeah. Like you I'll could go exactly from
1: <laughs> one thing, and that is what your cervix looks like at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So um. So I drove to triage. um, I saw my midwife and um, she is like, your fluid is just way lower than we'd like to see. I think the, they're like, I think they have a scale of 10, maybe. And the lowest they like to see is a five. And I was a two. So they were like, you're going to have this baby today. And um, I was, you know, panicking a little bit, but I was like, okay, you know, I'll come back and I'll be induced. Um Wait, I want my baby no, to be healthy. Yeah. sorry.
1: sorry. That's okay. Um, what was the fluid? It was through the ultrasound that it was determined that your fluid was low?
2: Yes, ultrasound and just measurement of fundal height. Right. And you like even when I was in the ultrasound, I could see that it was low. Like, and I think that was partially what made my contractions so much more painful. Was I didn't have as much of a cushion between my belly and my baby. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was really, really low, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, was it there was. Talk
1: of replenishing that at all?
2: No, no, and um, no, there wasn't any talk. And i I hadn't ever experienced or like researched. I was doing a lot of research of pregnancy from the when I got pregnant with my first to now, so I had a lot more of the evidence-based ideas. Um, So, you know, no episiotomy, you know, you know, understanding that cervical checks aren't really necessary and they don't really tell you anything in the last Mm -hmm. few weeks of pregnancy. But I had never heard of low fluid or um, what that means. So, or whether it was safe to go longer. And I just kind of was like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to have this baby today. So So I just kind of took their word for it.
1: With the induction, then
2: I was okay with the induction. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want it. I was scared. I um, had thought that I would have a couple more weeks, (laughs) Um, but I was having contractions that day that were. I think I was even having a little bit of bloody show at that time. I don't remember specifically, but I do. I think that I was. So
1: had, had you had any like rupture, any fluid leaking at all?
2: No, no. Um, yeah, I didn't have any fluid, um, at all. Just a little bit of show, um, earlier that day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I went home, they actually said that I could come back later that day. So it was around noon, maybe two o'clock. And, um, I went home for a few hours and then came, was planning to come back later that day. And we actually got a chance to go to, our church and receive, I, I think I received last rites because I was scared. I thought that there was a chance that I could die that day, which was because of my anxiety. There was nothing. I mean, they wouldn't have sent me home if there was a chance no. that, but my anxiety was just so bad that I was like, I might die and my baby might die. And so we got like, we made sure to um, review what emergency baptism would look like mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, just because I was so afraid Mm-hmm. um yeah and then we um went back later that night and it was all went it all went so smoothly um, except for when they put in the hep lock <laughs> which I hate I hate yeah. hep locks I hate getting poked with needles I even told my nurse like this is worse than labor like this is worse than contractions for me <laughs> I hate this part <laughs> Well, I have
1: a question. Um, um, yes. it, might, it might not even be one that I'm like expecting you to answer, more just picking mm-hmm. your brain and birth too, Laura. But um, I was just talking with a friend of mine about how much I hated my HEP lock, um mm-hmm. for my birth because I, mm-hmm. I didn't have one with my home birth. Um, and I was like, you know, one of 50 things I could say about my births if I knew now, you know, if I knew then what I know mm-hmm. now, I would have just said, don't put this in my hand. I do not consent to this. And the friend who I. Yeah. To is a nurse, and she was like, Yeah, you can 100% say I don't want a heplock in my hand. Mm-hmm. And I said, You know, I complained about that heplock, I think, every contraction for three hours.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh.
1: Nobody said, Hey, we can take this out. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand that if I don't have to have so, it.
0: What I'm mm-hmm. thinking is because I was my first, I had the IV, I guess that was just standard, and I hated it. So Mm -hmm. I remember, Mm -hmm. I remember learning that you can ask not to be attached and just get a hip block. And so I made a point to tell my OBs that and stuff before um, Mm -hmm. during my appointments. And so everyone was fine with that. But I think that's just policy that they want you Mm -hmm. to have that just in case of emergency. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's just policy. So I guess unless you were like. Take it out of my hand now? Or you ripped it out and said, no, mm-hmm. "Not putting another one in." They mm-hmm. probably weren't going to yeah. suggest to take it out. Yeah, sort of yeah. thing.
2: I agree. I bet that's probably what it was. That they just—it's policy. So unless you specifically say, "I don't want this in my hand," they um, just keep it in, which is not the best, and it's yeah. not you know best for the patient. But um, what hospital policies are for the patient and not for. Um, <laughs> not for liability for the hospital. Yeah. I'm a little bit uh, um, bitter about things like that.
0: Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They're only ever going to prioritize the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a question of the hospital or the mother, they're going to put the hospital first.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, I think that my midwives and my nurses We're not necessarily like that. Like the hospital policymakers, definitely. But um, I know that I was super afraid of testing positive for COVID and having to wear a mask for my whole birth because with my anxiety, I was so stressed. I mean, like I can't breathe when I'm having an anxiety attack and I did not want to have a panic attack during my birth. So I mentioned that at every single midwife appointment. I was like, will I have to wear a mask? And they were like, you know, none of us are going to make you wear a mask while Mm -hmm. you're in labor. Like yeah, it's hospital that. policy, but we aren't, you know, we're going to be all protected. You know, you need to do what you need to do to get well, your baby out. You,
1: literally. How can you make someone wear a mask?
2: Yeah, you can't. You can't.
1: Yeah. I, I'll yeah. take it off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't care. laughs> I will take it off. Yeah. 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 So um, I did test negative. Um, I was able. So when I went in for my induction, I started with a Foley balloon and misoprostol. Um and I was really sure that I did not want Pitocin. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna try every single induction method besides Pitocin. And misoprostol has its own issues, and you know, a foley balloon is definitely not comfortable. Mm-hmm. But um I wanted it to be as mild as I possibly could. Um and so the foley balloon, I think I had it in for just a few hours, maybe two or three. And, um, it fell out and, um, we waited a few hours and my contractions started to pick up and, um, they came back in and they were trying, they were, you know, talking about my options of, you know, we could just let the contractions happen. We could, um, you know, break your water or we could start you on Pitocin. And at that point, I, you know, I wanted to get back to my toddler. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, let's just get this ball rolling. Cause with my first birth too, I, when my water was broken, my, I immediately was like in real active, intense labor. So I had them do that again with this baby. Cause I was just ready. I was ready to get my labor started. <laughs> and, um, so I, um, they broke my, la- my water I got in the, I think I was in the tub for most of this time. I very specifically remember like laughing and making jokes and singing. Um, I was singing through contractions, which was like, as I was having contractions, I was singing songs and it was such a beautiful release. And it it was another beautiful experience of like, my spirits were so high through this whole labor. Mm -hmm. um even through my anxiety I was still able to handle that um I got to I think eight centimeters and I had them I I tried not to have as many checks this time just because they aren't really necessary um but I was stuck I think I was at an eight for three hours Mm -hmm. and that whole time you know I was using the Um, nitrous oxide again. I was, you know, trying a few different positions, and it didn't really seem to be doing anything. I was still stuck at stuck at an eight at eight centimeters. I had the, um, you know, shift, um, the shift change, and I got a new nurse that I really didn't like as much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And she just wasn't very helpful. And um, just the, you know, how you're in labor and everything that anyone says and their emotions kind of play off of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, this nurse just seemed kind of grumpy almost. And that was just not a great experience. I remember I was checked like three times and I was still at eight and it was over like two or three hours. And I was like, you know what? Um, Oh no, they told me you're almost there. And they kept telling me that over like a couple hours. And I just screamed at everyone. And I was like, stop telling me that I'm almost there. (laughs) (laughs) It's obviously not true. So stop telling me that. (laughs) If I was almost there, I would have this baby right now. Um, And I remember just being sick of everyone in the room. Like my nurse, my husband, my mom, I was like, please stop talking to me, everyone. And my new, the new midwife, after the shift change came in and I was like, <laughs> Melanie, I need help. What do I do? <laughs> just like, I need to do something. And she was like, you know what, let's do a few pushes on or just a few contractions on the toilet. We'll change up the position and we'll see what happens. Um, so I was at eight centimeters, like less than five minutes before that. You know what they call so the it, right? Yeah. What was, I don't know the exact phrase.
1: It's the dilation station.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I sat on the toilet. I think I fell asleep in between contractions on the Mm -hmm. toilet. I did that too. I mean, and then my boys. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I started crowning on that toilet within Mm -hmm. three contractions and my midwife had left because she was like, oh, it'll probably be a while. But my nurse was like freaking out. And she was like, okay, you know, this baby's coming right here. And she like trying to call the midwife in. And she was like, okay, we're going to have this baby right here. And I was like, I like stood up at that second. And I was like, I'm not having my baby on a toilet. And I marched back to the bed and, you know, got into position. um, And he, it was fetal ejection reflux, like 100%. I, she told me I was not to push. And I was like, I can't not push my body to push. Um, I think she was, I think she thought that I was still at an eight. And this was a part of the reason why I didn't enjoy being with this nurse either (laughs) was, um, just, I didn't, you know, she wasn't encouraging me to listen to my body. She was, trying to take over I think a little right. bit more but I completely ignored her and yeah. you know I couldn't stop it I was pushing mm-hmm. um <laughs> and, and so I walked back to the bed and my midwife made it back and you know I'm this baby's coming out <laughs> my body's pushing it out on his own um and I was like wait my husband needs to catch the baby and so they had to like stop what they were doing and get him all you know geared up which was really funny. Um, and Max, Max just slipped out. Like I think I had pushed maybe three times Mm -hmm. and he was out. Um, I didn't, I don't think I had any tearing at all. Um, it was really amazing, but you know, after I did not have the same oxytocin high with Max as I did with George, um, they did place him on my chest, but I was just in so much pain, Um, I think just from how fast he came out, even though I didn't tear, it was just like, you know, everything was really raw and this nurse was like, you know, cleaning me up and she kept forgetting that I didn't have an epidural. And so she was being like really rough and we had to tell her like four different times, like, Hey, you need to be gentle because I did not have an epidural. And she's like, Oh, oops, I forgot like, mm. you need to remember, <laughs> you yeah. need to remember.
1: I probably would have kicked her in the face.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was like, it was painful just that. And I didn't have that oxytocin high, probably from the mesoprostol or something like that. Just, you know, that change. And um, it was a little bit harder to bond with Max than it was with George because of that. And, you know, I felt a lot of guilt. From that as a mom (laughs) even though i couldn't control it um but it's just one of those experiences yeah that postpartum experience was really nice not having anyone at the hospital not having many people stop by and when people did stop by they only stopped by for a few you know an hour or two which i think is the way it should be (laughs) like if unless you're there to help out and make food you should only be there for an hour. (laughs) Um, if that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, I was, my anxiety was still really bad after that because, you know, it was still in the middle of a pandemic. I was so worried about my little tiny baby getting sick. So I didn't really see many people after I had my baby. Um, it was really hard to get through. And then I had to start work at six weeks postpartum at home, but it was still just really, really rough. Um, my husband did have a three-month paid paternity leave, which was wow. amazing to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so those are my birth stories. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I know we're a little bit over time but I wanted to just talk about some common themes um, between my two births that um, came to me spiritually through mm-hmm. these experiences. Birth is just, it's a complete surrender to the process and complete surrender to your body and to your baby's body and trust. in in those, you know, in your body and in your baby and in God. Um I saw so many parallels between motherhood and the passion. It's really just, it's like a smaller, lesser version of the passion, Mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy, birth, transition in labor, nursing. It's all a reflection of Jesus's journey through life. Like Mm -hmm. just how much you give up your body. Like this is my body given up for you. The number of times that we say that as mothers, as we are having Braxton Hicks contractions for five months or, you know, have an oversupply of milk and we're feeding our babies, even though it's painful, um, it's all just a beautiful reflection of Jesus's passion. Mm -hmm. And I think leaning into that, um, that made my experience in both of these births just um so spiritual and, it, and I've never felt closer to God than I did in labor it's yeah. just a beautiful experience mm-hmm. yeah
1: mm-hmm. just to add to that already not like I need to add anything to it because quick it <laughs> um, we just uh, after Easter have been saying the Divine Mercy chaplet every night and mm-hmm. one of the one of the first prayers um, before we begin um, there's just a little bit about the blood and water gushed forth for Mm. the sinners. And I think about like water breaking every single, every single time I hear that Mm -hmm. I think Mm. of when your water breaks and there's just water and blood gushing forth for the conversion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well,
1: Alex, if, do you have any, um, you know, advice for any first time Catholic moms out there?
2: Yes, definitely. I would say reflect and meditate on the passion as much as possible. Um, Bring that to prayer as much as you can while you're pregnant. Even if this is your second or third or fourth or fifth birth, um, just really try to connect your birth to the passion of Jesus as much as possible and then also learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I read a comment on some Instagram thing from a woman who was pregnant. And she said that she's just going to kind of let her birth go, however it goes. And that just made me so sad, because you're giving up so much agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so, impo- so important to know what to expect as much as you can, and to know what you want, and to be able to advocate for yourself and have The people who are around you advocate for you as well. Just Mm -hmm. um, so important to learn as much as you possibly can Mm -hmm. before you go into birth. I
0: Mm -hmm. was kind of had that similar mindset with my first and I really wish I had done more research and stuff because things went, you know, I could have changed different things and made it the experience different if I had educated myself more. Mm -hmm. Yes. known like yes, definitely. what your choices and more of your options are versus mm-hmm. just based off mm-hmm. going, you know, what the normal that people do is. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And that's the experience of so many women too, is, you know, we just trust that our doctors are going to take care of us. And sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't know what's best for you. So, um, Yeah yeah, the best way to protect yourself against that is to just learn as much as you can.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. You can find us on Instagram at fiat.podcast.
0: And please leave us a rate and review and we'll see you next week. Bye.